Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What I hope people take away is that when you find your gifts, however those gifts are discovered, that you realize that you can use them to make the world a better place. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today's guest is Julie Hedlund, the award-winning children's picture book author of Overbear Underwear. She's here to talk about her latest book, Song After Song, The Musical Life of Julie Andrews. Julie Hedlund says she spends much of her time inside her own imagination. And when not writing or reading, she enjoys playing in the mountains near her home in Boulder, Colorado. She lives with her two teenage children and their high-maintenance hound dog. Before I share our conversation, prepare to be inspired by song after song, the musical life of Julie Andrews. Here's the synopsis. This picture book biography explores the early life of film star, theater performer, singer, and published author of children's books, Julie Andrews, and how she found her voice and her love of music. Long before she starred in movies like The Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, and The Princess Diaries, Julie Andrews was a little girl struggling with her parents' divorce and the ravages of World War II. To comfort her and fill her time during the London Blitz, her stepfather taught her to sing, and Julie found her voice, one of the most extraordinary singing voices of all time. Lyrically told by Julie Hedlund and lushly illustrated by Ilaria Ubernati, this is the story of how Julie Andrews became one of the world's most beloved performers. Julie Hedlund, welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. Hi, Bianca. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And also an absolute thrill to have you on the show today to talk about your latest picture book, Song After Song, The Musical Life of Julie Andrews. 
I can't even imagine how many times I've watched The Sound of Music. And so even just saying Julie Andrews' name, it makes me want to just start singing. But before we dig into the book, let's get to know a little bit about you and what makes you tick when it comes to writing. So let's start with what's one thing you do in your day-to-day practices that you feel would be either the most surprising or the most relatable to listeners? Hmm, that's a great question. And I think what might be the most relatable, hopefully, I know this is not true for everybody, but I actually don't have a specific writing practice. I am much more a catch-as-catch-can kind of person, but I'm always writing in my head. There isn't a day that goes by where I'm not noodling on something that I'm working on, or I get an idea and write it down and, you know, start making notes on it or something like that. But in terms of just sitting in front of the computer and, you know, working on a specific manuscript, that happens, obviously, but just either when I have a deadline or when I'm overcome with an idea of something that I could fix or I have a critique or or something along those lines. And it's not the best way. I really wish I had a very specific writing practice, but I've found that it just doesn't fit with my personality. And the minute I make a rule, I'm going to break it. So (laughs) it's better to just kind of let things flow. I don't recommend it, but that's maybe it's relatable for other people out there who, who, you know, struggle to find time to write. Yeah. Well, the listeners can't see me, but I'm nodding along because I'm like, yeah, I relate to this a lot. (laughs) So then if you're, if you are writing a lot in your head and you're really only sitting down when you're overcome by an idea or you've just gotten feedback on a manuscript or something like that? Like, what's your feeling that you get when you're overcome by the idea? Like, you've figured out an answer to a question or is it just can't stop thinking about it? That's exactly it. And um, I, I, I won't say I never force myself to sit down and write as a discipline, but it's usually like something clicks and I have to sit down right away and go through it and, and put it in there, or at least go in and make some notes about the idea or the direction I want to go in. And I often find that because I'm typically worrying things around in my head, that it actually requires less laptop time because I have sort of maneuvered things in my head. You know, people always talk about what counts as writing, you know. And for me, if I only counted the time that I'm sitting in front of my computer with a manuscript open, it would be pretty, pretty small. (laughs) Well, there is that saying that you need to be a reader first before you're a writer. So do you consider yourself a reader? And do you even agree with that? I do agree with it. If you want to learn anything, the best way is to go to the experts. You know, who are you going to hire to teach you how to play the piano? You're not going to hire somebody who's just learning how to play the piano, right? And that's what books are. I mean, first of all, I mean, I couldn't live, I couldn't breathe without books. And I've been a reader. I can't remember a time when I was didn't know how to read. I mean, I know it existed, but... 
I, for in the summer when I was a kid, I would read three books a day, you know, just sit and read and read. And for picture books, one of the things that's good is that they are fairly short. So you can do quite a bit of reading, although when you dig into them and you start really reflecting on them and you're using them as mentor texts, it's a good idea to slow down and maybe spend more time with each one. But yes, I absolutely 1000% believe that you have to be a reader before you're a writer. I'm sure you can relate to this too, that I'm lucky because I'm constantly immersed in writing in the sphere of writing even if I'm not writing. So for instance, you're doing this podcast interview with me. So we're talking about writing, um, even if we're neither of us are writing right now, <laughs> you know, but we're, I'm sure, learning from each other. And the same is true for me with 12 by 12 and the webinars and Picture Book Summit and the other things that I do. So I'm kind of constant. It's like osmosis, you know. Yeah. Well, since you touched on 12 by 12 and Picture Book Summit, do you want to just share, in case we have some listeners that don't know what those are, do you want to share a little bit about them? I would love to, especially since for Picture Book Summit this year, which is October 7th, it just so happens that Julie Andrews is one of our keynote speakers. She and her daughter, Emma, who's one of the co-founders of the Picture Book Summit, are doing a joint session on writing partnerships because they write a lot of children's books and especially picture books together. And they have one coming out a week after mine, another one. It's called The Enchanted Symphony. So yeah, I mean, she's going to be one of our keynotes. And it's a, so backing up for a second, Picture Book Summit is an annual online conference. This will be, I think, our ninth year. And it's all one day, one packed, fun amazing day where attendees, I, at least I know I do, I feel like my feet aren't even touching the ground, you know, after that day is over, you're so revved up. We always have like our, what we call our superstar speakers. Julie Andrews was one this year. We also have the Steads, Aaron and Philip and Nikki Grimes. And then if your listeners enjoy this conversation about song after song, I'm going to be co-presenting a workshop with Angela Dalton, who earlier this year had a book come out called To Boldly Go, a biography of Nichelle Nichols of Star Wars or Star Wars, Star Trek fame. The title of our workshop is called Eight Ways to Ruin a Picture Book Biography. <laughs> We're sharing all the mistakes we made so that so that you don't have to. And then 12 by 12 is an annual writing challenge where members attempt to write one picture book draft, very drafty, no, you know, it doesn't have to be finished, picture book draft a month for each of the 12 months. But there's so much more to it than that. We have monthly webinars, we have a forum where people can post their work for feedback, we have all kinds of education topics in in the forum. And mostly what I love about 12 by 12 is that it's a 24 by 7 writing and illustrating because we do have lots of illustrators. It's a community and it really helps you get through both the highs and the lows and everything in between. We have a Facebook group that is very active. This is actually the 12th year of 12 by 12. Oh, so. wow. So that's a lot of immersion for me in yeah. picture book creating. And I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. 
Um, we only take registration in January and February because it is meant to be a year thing. We gel as a community, you know, so we don't want people coming and going. But there's always another January that's just around the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so so then you're so busy with all of this. And so it would make sense that you need to make the most of your time when you are writing for yourself, you know? Yes. And it is challenging because obviously, you know, the 12 by 12 and Picture Book Summit and other initiatives like that are really, you know, how I earn my living. But the writing is the passion and the purpose and the but I I feel fortunate because through 12 by 12, I get to see a lot of other people through the publishing process and all these amazing books. Yeah. Um, that, that they publish too. So yeah, so it feels like they're almost a little piece of of the vision you had when you first started Twelve by Twelve, which you obviously started because of your passion for writing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're the writer of multiple picture books, but you're definitely not a one-trick pony in that your books cover humor, you've got a, a lyrical verse, and, and now you've got this biography. So what would you say is your guiding force in creating books for children? And if you had to connect to your very different books, is there one theme you feel can be found across them all? Uh, yes, I've been thinking about this because it, it is tempting to be paranoid sometimes that like, I don't have, I don't seem to have an author brand, you know, but when I look back across my work, obviously there, there's a lot of nature, even in nature and animals, even in the biography, Julie's love of nature features pretty prominently. But I feel that the one thread that's in there is always belonging. Even in A Troop is a Group of Monkeys, which was my first book that was published way back in 2013, I think. You know, it's these groups of animals and kind of how they interact with each other. But then also we're part of this planet. We need to make space for each other, you know, is, is kind of the theme at the end. And in Overbear Underwear, there's very strong themes of being left out initially, maybe being prejudged and then ultimately being included. And certainly with Julie, she had a lot of struggles given her very unorthodox childhood and trying to find her place within her own family, but also her place in, in the world, you know? So. Yeah. Well, what, what are, who were your biggest childhood influences and how do they show up in your writing? Mm -hmm. 
That's a good one, too. First of all, speaking of sound of music. <laughs> I'm trying not to sing right now. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's an occupational hazard for me, believe me. I mean, I don't think a day goes by when I don't get one of those songs stuck in my head right now, especially with the book coming out. But I w- watched the sound of music every year. It was a family tradition o- over Easter. I used to play, we play pretend sound of music. I had the the old LP and I would jump on my bed doing the you are 16. Nobody wants <laughs> to hear me sing, believe me. So definitely movies like uh, uh, the sound of music, Mary Poppins, but also like the Wizard of Oz, you know, the ones that came on once a year, those TV shows that movies and TV shows that were so special. I, kids can't understand this today. But like a Charlie Brown, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. You could watch once a year. And if you missed it, that was it, you know? Yeah. And so I I think that there's something that draws me to these stories that you love so much. You have this anticipation around them. And I try to bring that sense of love and wonder. And I'm also... I've always loved puns. You know, I was a huge Dr. Seuss fan growing up. So, you know, that's where the rhyming and the kind of oddball humor, I think, comes in. And and also, I grew up in northern Michigan. I was outside all the time and a huge animal lover. And a lot of those things are still true and still inform, inform my work. I have two picture books on submission right now, both of which feature animal main characters so I think if I had to pick a favorite that would be that would be it like humorous animal stories but I don't know it's it's you just write what you're passionate about I guess what you have a connection to so let's dig into song after song you shared in your author's note that a moment and a comment by your friend Emma led you to writing this picture book biography. So would you be willing to share with our listeners what you included in your author's note? Absolutely. Um, let me just open it. So I don't know if you want me to read the whole thing, but I the, the beginning paragraph, I talk about my connection to Julie Andrews movies and how I grew up with Sound of Music and Mary Poppins and all of that. And being devastated when I learned that she'd lost her singing voice after a throat surgery. I remember this was before I was even writing for children and just feeling instantly like I cannot imagine the world being deprived now forever of of her voice. But then that wasn't it because she and Emma, her daughter and my dear friend, went on to write children's books together. And so here's what I write in the author's note. Luckily, Julie began using her voice in a new way, writing children's books. I did the same, and my path crossed that of Julie's daughter, Emma Walton Hamilton, with whom Julie had written more than two dozen books. Emma and I formed a fast friendship that has deepened into something close to sisterhood. 
Sitting on her patio one evening, I wondered aloud about the likelihood of a girl from a small town in northern Michigan becoming great friends with a girl who grew up between New York and Los Angeles as the daughter of a megastar. Emma said, quote, we were raised with the same values, unquote. That simple comment led me to look at Julie's own childhood more closely. And when I told Emma I wanted to use my voice to tell her mom's story to today's children, she gave me her blessing, as did Julie Andrews herself. So yeah, it really was that. I I thought about that comment for, I mean, we, we obviously continued to talk about it, like the similarities between our upbringings, but it really struck me that how much people really are the same and the connections between us are not superficial at all, that they go very deep all the way down to our roots. So you had this moment, obviously you had to do some research. So what did that look like? I mean, obviously you you had access to Julie Andrews' fa- family through Emma, and like, but I imagine your research went beyond that. Very much so. And I tried very hard not to rely on Emma too much. I have to say she was amazing through this process. I could not have met, I couldn't imagine. And the book would absolutely not be anywhere near as good as it is without her input. But what I, I, I wanted to make sure that there was enough separation that the story was my, you know, in my voice, my angle. And I felt like it was a perfect balance between me, obviously, you know, loving her mother as a performer and me loving Emma as a friend, but also having enough distance to have the some objectivity to kind of look at the the bigger picture because they would have been capable more than capable of writing this book. The two of them are children's authors. So I knew I really had to pull my weight, as as you say. And actually, one of the things that Julie says a lot is, you know, don't let your side down, right? I didn't, and meaning you've got to hold, you've got to hold up your end of the bargain would be the idiom here. So I started by reading her memoir, Home, which the the memoir of her early years, I listened to dozens and dozens of interviews where she talks about her childhood. And I went to London to do a a research trip. I went to the theater where she sang in front of the Queen, uh, Royal Palladium Theater. I went to her home village. I walked around there. I went to the Sussex Historical Society and looked at pictures of... And then in London, I went and to the underground station where she and her mom and stepfather sheltered during World War II. I went to the Imperial War Museum to do more research about what life in London was like in World War II. So, yes. And what I really looked to Emma for once I had drafts you know, written was I wanted emotional truth. And I I wanted it to be emotionally authentic. And that's a tricky thing when you're writing nonfiction, because you have to be really careful not to impose your, like, 
this was very difficult for me to find this balance, which is why it took me 10 years to <laughs> between, you know, first starting to write and having the book published. But you want to put yourself into it, but you can't impose what you think about the person onto them or what or what you want them to have thought or felt. Yeah. You know? So it was tricky in that regard. And especially because she grew up in war-torn England. Children did not have agency really at all at that point in time in history, and especially not in England. So to make this story appeal to today's, you know, modern children, primarily in the United States, without crossing those boundaries. So for instance, I couldn't say, I could not say that she dreamed of being a famous singer because she did not, you know, things like that. Yeah. So with all of this research that you did, And I'm just curious, like, what was the most surprising thing that you uncovered that you just didn't imagine? Yeah, especially with on-site research. I think one of the things that really that, that that kind of research does more than anything is get you connected emotionally to a character if you see where they walked and they lived. And so one of the things that really surprised me was I had read in her memoir about how that they had this apartment and it was in Mornington Crescent, which is a neighborhood, and that they would go to the underground station to shelter when the air raids happened. And she described the cigarette factory, which is not a cigarette factory anymore, but the lion, you know, the building is still there and it still looks a lot like she described it in the memoir. And I, I found the exact apartment. So I was looking in the window, you know, of like the basement room where she would have been. And, but the thing that really hit me was how far it was or from the underground. And I'm thinking she was five years old. And those little legs having to go that far, you know, when she writes about it, it's like, oh, we just went to the underground station to to shelter there. But being there and seeing how far that was and how terrifying it must have been, because, you know, the air raid sirens will be going off possibly even, I mean, even hearing bombs dropping because London was very heavily bombed. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, for a little girl, five years old. So there is a scene in my book where they go and shelter in the underground station, but it's not so much that, did I have to see it? Could I have just put that in there? Absolutely. But I think a lot of the emotional, the the empathy for a character, for who you're writing about, whether it's fictional or nonfiction, comes from that kind of digging, digging deep, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the lovely illustrations now. So they're just, I don't know, there's just like a really elegant, but also sort of warm feeling about them. So 
talk to me about your illustrator and how you feel about the illustrations. I could not imagine this book illustrated by anybody else. One of my very favorite things, I have the book right here and I know people, your listeners won't see it, but the silhouettes in the curtains on the cover. And this is the advanced reader copy, but if your listeners, if you end up having a copy of the, of this book in hardcover, please make sure you lift the dust jacket off because there's a really amazing surprise under there that I don't want to reveal. But she makes use of these silhouettes. That's my favorite part that, that become foreshadowing literally here where when Julie is leaving her father to go to London and it's sort of this wispy cloud silhouette of her with her and it has a little nod to Mary Poppins here with the bag you know and going up into the air and the way she represents her singing you know these notes and birds and again you know her father kind of coming it's so beautiful it's so beautiful I'm, and, and the color palette, like you said, it's very warm, which I think was necessary for this book because there is some hardship in it. Uh, she's just a little girl and she went through a lot. But the the color palette and the sensitivity with which Alaria Urbanati illustrated this book is just phenomenal. Do you have a favorite spread? What's your, what part? And it, and it can be your text, Julie. Don't, don't be bashful. Like it can be, do you have a favorite passage in it? Or I, I have a favorite passage. So I want, I just want to see what yours is first. Okay. okay. I'll tell you what my favorite, this is maybe the, the spread after this one is actually my favorite from an illustration point of view. Um, this one, the one where she's standing on the stage at the Royal Palladium Theater, this huge stage and the, the queen is up here. But the the passage that comes right before that is my favorite in terms of the writing. It's on the evening of the performance, Julie gathered her courage, stepped into the spotlight and lifted her voice. Her string of pearl song cascaded over the crowd, like the rhythm of a river, the whistle of the wind, the sweetest symphony of bird song, all underscored by the hum of her father's love. So I'm really glad that that's the passage you read, because for me, that was it, too. And the the last parts of that were also used in the opening pages, if I'm correct. And so when I read the opening page, I was like, oh, this is going to be a beautiful story. And then when you reused that again right there, I just connected it for me and I loved it. It was so, so beautifully done. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, it does kind of circle back to the first lines of the book. And it's definitely, although it's not the end of the book, it's the emotional climax of the book for sure. Yeah. Well, Julie, I was hoping we could have a little fun here. Um, hopefully this works. Always up for fun. Yay. <laughs> so there's some Sound of Music lyrics, and I'm oh, going cool. to read the first few lines of Do Re Mi. Uh -huh. I'm not going to sing them. <laughs> uh -huh. And and then I'm going to add in a made-up line, and you're going to finish it. Oh, boy. But oh, since God. I'm putting you on the spot, it doesn't have to rhyme. 
It just, okay. it just needs to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. This will be fun. Let's see. Let's All right. Do it. Okay. Here goes. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. When you write, now this is your part, you begin with. Hmm. Okay. So when you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. When you write, you begin with all of me. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> right? That's, I mean, I kind of feel like that's may not be the world's greatest rhyme, but I do believe that's true. <laughs> yes. I, I only came up with you begin with a cup of hot tea. So. <laughs> well, and I do have a cup of hot tea right here, but, but no, I do think that's what you have to do, right? You have to bring your whole self yes. to it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I kind of, I just, I didn't, I didn't imagine that answer. You nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I had to think about it for a minute, but yeah. And of course I had to make it rhyme. I mean, I am, I do write, I do have some published work in rhyme and I love rhyming. So it would have been, I feel it would have been a cop out if I hadn't made it rhyme. (laughs) Well, what impact do you hope that song after song will have on its readers? Well, given that the audience is children who may not be as familiar, hard, difficult as it is for us to imagine, they may not be as familiar with Julie Andrews as we were and are, as we were growing up and as we are now. And what I hope people take away is that when you find your gifts, however those gifts are discovered, that you realize that you can use them to make the world a better place. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be an artist even. There are a lot of gifts that that kids will have and do have. But the main admiration that I have for Julie now after writing this book is how how hard she worked. She never took anything for granted. And because she was so young, this is not necessarily going to be the case for every child, you know, who who, they're not necessarily going to discover their gifts when they're eight years old. But given that she was so young, she really had to find a way to incorporate that gift into herself and then be able to express it in a way that she felt was doing good in the world. And the other thing I like about her story is that the gifts that you're given may not be the ones necessarily that you thought you were going to have. You know, if you think you're going to be a baseball player and you end up you know, not be not going pro in baseball, for example, but there are still a lot of things that can be done with that gift. And that will uncover other gifts. And then you will, you know, do what you can to move those through the world in a way that makes it a better place for everyone. Cheesy as it sounds. 
I don't know. I think sometimes the best things are cheesy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's, and the other thing, this is a, a, a bit more tangential, but I feel like in the age of, you know, influencers and the Kardashians, you know, and this sort of like Insta celebrity culture that we live in, it's really good to take a step back and think about the the human behind that, but also what what is that contribution ultimately? And is it a positive one? And if something seems like it's too good to be true, you know, maybe it is. And the fact that you have somebody here who's really worked hard through her entire life and never quit. She's still going versus I can, you know, Photoshop this picture of myself and stick it up on Instagram and get a million followers. Maybe that's a little bit too mature of a message for young kids. But again, going back to this idea of osmosis, maybe that will come out as they read more and hopefully many more biographies of of people who who work hard and achieve great things. Yeah, and I think what you just said is a big reason I love picture book biographies is because there are so many different kinds of people from different backgrounds with different interests and they show possibility. They they show you what can be. They typically show you that you can rise from adversity, um, you know, and not everybody goes through adversity, but I often find that those that have been more successful actually have had struggles that they've learned from. And so I, that's why I love the picture book it, it, biography genre is I just think it shows kids possibility, even if it's something they've never imagined for themselves and and never will. I find them so incredibly inspiring. And I learn, honestly, I'm not a big fan of adult biographies. I they, They're too bogged down for me. You know, I, I guess Julie's autobiographies being the exception, of course, but I don't typically have the amount of fascination for a person that would make me want to read like a 500 page biography. Actually, there is one other exception, which is Leonardo da Vinci. Um, but, but I love the picture book biography because I have learned so much. I've learned so much that's like so fascinating and things that I never knew and people that I never knew of. And then people, even people that you do know, like, I don't want to steal her thunder, but in Angela Dalton's biography of Nichelle Nichols, this is in the back matter, but, you know, here she was an actress on Star Trek and she ended up helping to reform NASA after the show was over. You know, it's crazy. Like, right? I mean, because she was using her platform, her celebrity, her you know, and 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 when you think about that, it's like so she was very key in diversifying NASA. So again, even if you are on a particular path, there's always ways to be thinking about. And you, I'm sure you do this all the time. Like, what do you want to use your platform for? 
How do you want to use your gifts? What messages are you trying to send? And we do that in everything, not just in writing or podcasting or, but it's important. And hopefully that's what I love about picture book biographies. You get kind of like the most amazing pieces, you know, very digestible, but also extremely thought provoking. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Do you know if Julie Andrews has read Song After Song? I do know. And she has. And she told me that she thinks it's lovely. And so, um, yes. That's really special. That's been, that was, I mean, right there, what else do I need? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, your little girl self is probably like (laughs) doing backflips. Seriously. Yeah. And and singing, I am 16 going on 17. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, that was, and she just saw, saw it recently because I gave Emma a copy of, uh, gave her one of my copies of the arc and I just felt it from the top of my head to the tips of my toes, you know? Well, Julie, what is the one most important point that you want the Growing Readers listeners to take away from our chat today? One of the themes I think that we, you and I have kept coming back to is that there are many ways of doing what you love in the world. And we didn't necessarily touch on this, but it's not helpful to compare yourself to other other people's journeys and the paths that they're on, rather to pay attention to our own, right? So if you're on a hike, if you are getting distracted by this thing over there, before you know it, you're going to be off your own trail and lost. And I heard myself almost apologizing in the beginning for not having a writing routine that would be considered typical. And you said you really related to that. And I imagine that our paths and the way that we work, every it's 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 different. They're different. But embracing, again, embracing your gifts in the ways that work for you so that you can go on, you know, and do the amazing things that you really that you do every day and learning from them and improving as you go along, or maybe even shifting a a bit. It's all, it's all good. It's all valid. Even though I didn't include this specifically in the book, but I make kind of a nod to it, but I think that it's very symbolic and probably not coincidental in some ways that when Julie lost her singing voice in terms of being able to perform as the singer, that she went on to use her voice in very different ways. She didn't just stop working. She did more acting. That was how we got the Princess Diaries. And she did she did more writing. And that's how we've got so many of these wonderful picture books and middle grade books. And she directed shows and who knows if she would have done those things if that hadn't happened. And so I think for all of us, you know, we don't know necessarily what life is going to put in our path, but it's inspiring to learn from people who maybe face an obstacle 
but who then use that, not just get, go around it, but use it to actually then continue to do great things. And I feel like for each person, for you, it's going to be different than it is for me. But being able to see that other people have gone through things and have continued to do amazing work and be amazing humans. And it it will look different from, from everybody. And like I said, it doesn't have to be huge fame or it could be how, you know, raising your kids to the point that they're flying and are rooted in their values and so on. And speaking of teachers, I mean, my goodness, look at all the hardship that's been thrown at teachers in the past few years and what they've overcome to continue to connect with these kids who are also going through this very difficult time. But we just have to, I think what Julie would say is persevere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Julie, I think it's fun that just in general, your name is Julie and you're talking about the people about Julie I'm, and <laughs> I like to call myself the other Julie. The other Julie. The other Julie. So other Julie. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for just shining a spotlight on such a fabulous human being that Julie Andrews is. For me as an adult reader, it was such a nice reminder that I think we do often, like you said, take celebrities at the face value. We think we know them. I I, I didn't. I didn't know anything about Julie Andrews of her childhood. So I just, I love that you wrote this book that you shared. I think kids are really going to connect with it. I loved the lyrical parts of your writing. And we talked about how beautiful the illustrations are. So just all in all, I think this is a great picture book biography. And I'm really grateful for your time today. Thank you. I'm so grateful to you for having me. And I really really love what you do. And thank you for bringing authors and illustrators out to the community like you do. It's really incredible. It's my, it's my passion for sure. <laughs> thank you. You can tell. <laughs> Absolutely tell. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Song After Song, The Musical Life of Julie Andrews. You can find out more about Julie Headland at julieheadland.com. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers Podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Be sure to follow the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like Song After Song, The Musical Life of Julie Andrews, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.